in, in meditation, it is a, a learning process, learning through trial and error, trial and success, trial and results, cause and effect. It's a form of karma, mental karma, which means we put in some input, we witness the results, we experience those results, we check out, you know, whether it's Results are skillful, unskillful for our welfare or not. Doesn't mean we always get what we want, but we may get what we need. You know, sometimes results are surprising because we're not always that clued up as to as to what we can really what we, what's really for our for our welfare. Mm-hmm. But you're learning, you know. So when we, uh, simplistically, sometimes when we practice meditation, we assume that what would be for our welfare would be to, you know, be able to focus one-pointedly on an object. That sounds reasonable. <clears throat> but with that intention in mind... We find ourselves skipping a whole lot of process. You know? So, or you can actually, sometimes people can do that, but the results can be a certain emphasis on will, on achievement. And then when you come out of that uh, experience, actually, you're none the wiser. So, a lot of what we do in, in the meditation is we, 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 you know, we have intentions, we commit to practice. We, we look at the results of how this is it affecting us. There's a sense of a feedback. And these are the things that you, that you can take with you. You learn how your own karma, how your own characteristics, how your own formations, how your own idiosyncrasies work. I was noticing, to, just mentioning today that... Uh, for example, I find that having practiced with mindfulness of breathing for many years, um, what I don't do when I sit down is go to the breathing. Well, there's a process. So it's first of all, just to check in with generally what seems important, what is present for me, whether it's an agitated mental state, feeling of fatigue, or uh, whatever. And then try to experience the body through that. So first we'll get the whole thing going. So it's not just the, uh, the, the, the mind state, but also the body state arrive at the sense of the, there's a wholeness to it. There's a body impression, an emotional impression, there's mental stuff happening. And then within that, I begin to, as I've come into a full body impression, I begin to sense the breathing because that's part of it. Breathing is called the Kaya Sankara, which means it's the fundamental pulse of the body, you might say, the fundamental energy of the body. So you don't get it until you've actually, you don't get it fully until you've come into your body. So you can't just skip it. You can't just, uh, you've got to actually open up the whole thing. 
and uh, come to a sense of being embodied, which sometimes we don't do. You know, we, we want to get ahead and do, get the results. We want to get ahead. We want a shortcut. But a lot of what we begin to learn is that there's a there's a whole process we have to go through of coming into truth, coming into balance with ourselves, finding the right kind of effort and energy, and uh, making uh, making it uh, specific and real. So though there are systems and techniques, most everyone will have to take the basic off the peg job, and you know tailor it a little bit to fit what's going to work for them. And it can change from time to time. There are, but essentially you come down to it as a a memo, there are three particular uh, functions or attributes that go along with mind that are to be cultivated and that uh, happen all the time for us are very predominant in in how we experience our lives and how we direct ourselves. They are are these agents that form the world for us. And so if you learn about these, you learn about the world. You learn about how you create your world, how you get embedded in it, how you come out of it, how you manage it, how you release yourself from it. There are three fundamental agencies that are occurring in, in, our, in the mind and experience. And these are intention, attention, and contact impression. These three are the carriers of karma. Intention is the active agent of karma. You know, it's our our bent, our impulse, our reflex, our motivation, our interest at any particular time. Sometimes we're not all that aware of it. You know, it's really kind of blurred, running on automatic. There are fundamental intentions happening. Um, you know, all the time. Generally, you might say the intention is towards one's well-being, but more specifically, you can notice your when your intentions get uh, are, are caught up with worry or uh, pressure or uh, or hindered by uh, doubt or ill will or something like that. These are making your intentions very murky, and so you get results like that. Intention. Mm-hmm. Attention is the ability to form a focus. And it's uh, attention, all these are given. We all always have intention, attention, and contact, but they're not necessarily um, coming from the right place. You know? So our attention is generally hooked up to um, receiving sensory impressions and, and so on. You know, it's kind of, and it's just kind of like, you know, you don't pay attention. Attention happens. You just kind of it gets it gets captured. Things catch your eye. Things catch your ears. Things catch your mind, and the attention is caught by them. Yeah, and often in daily life, our attention is our attention has a very short-term um, relevance to it. Get this thing done. Get on to the next thing. Get this, you know, so you attend to something for a while, only for a while, then you go on to the next thing. It's kind of moment by moment. Um, <clears throat> particularly as things speed up, 
you might say that an average person's attention span is probably seconds. If you're watching television, you know, perhaps three seconds before the next thing comes in, perhaps less than that. So it's and in a way, this this uh, this makes your attention attention power very lazy because you don't have to have to sustain attention. The next thing's popped in there, so you know you don't really have to do any and to sustain attention on the object because the object is only going to be there for two or three seconds and the next one comes in. And so you get a very short span of attention. And it's as it's short span, it's also superficial. We just, oh, okay, 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 okay. So this kind of attention, and there's a result of that. The result of that is we lose depth. We get a lot of, a lot of surface stuff. We get overwhelmed with surface stuff that's moving through we lose depth, we lose a sense of what's happening for me, what's, uh, what's important for me. We don't have even a chance to ask that question. So attention is to be cultivated, paying attention, and appropriate attention. Uh, so when we form a focus, there's things, naturally any kind of focus, there's things you leave out, there's things you put in. So when you exercise attention, one of the exercises is to deliberately, you know, decide what is appropriate, give that full attention, leave other things out, you know? so we create a boundary, you know, that, that's what attention does. And if, as, you, as you meditate, you're learning to get some uh, authority over attention, it's not just captured, you know, by the next thought, the next feeling, the next sensation, the next thing, you, you, you learn to get some authority over it. Uh, attention can be quite wide, like the whole body, the space in the room. It can be quite fine, like particular sensations in, in the leg or the body or the particular, you know, so it can be a, a, a pinpoint focus or a wide focus. That's dependent. The main thing is that you, you have some say over the focus and you determine and you, you adjust it as is appropriate. So the wide focus will generally calm you down more. The wider, the more spacious it is, it generally creates a sense of more calm. Uh, a, a sharper focus will intensify energy. You get more, and that's you know, the way you... Cause, cause Intention, attention, and contact all have a particular energetic potential. They're all what are called sankara, means there's a certain energy there. So when you use attention, there's an energy that sustains a focus. And you might recognize that when you're really tired, it's difficult to focus. That indicates that attention requires energy. Energy and attention are not separate. and when you've got a lot of energy, then uh, your, your, your attention, is, your, your focus is very sharp and, and sometimes too sharp and you need to widen it, soften it. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> there's a particular energy that goes along with attention. And attention carries the intentions of the mind. You know, so you might say, we learn to look with a sympathetic eye or we listen with an attentive ear 
or you listen with a fault-finding mind. Yeah. So there's a particular intention that goes along with with attention. It's never blank. It's never bare. It's always got something in it that, that's there. You know. And so just just as we get clear, like what actually to really know what the intention is, because it's not always clear. Yeah. Uh, the default probably will be to get something that's good for me, you know, short term. It's rarely going to be let me find something that, that's you know difficult and miserable. <laughs> so there's that, that angle on it, isn't there? Generally, you know. And it's important to bear this in mind because then when you you just just know what you're working with. So that's so we do seek that which we we would rather appreciate and enjoy is going to make us feel good. Because then, when you meditate, you you see you try to look for something with that. You make use of that attitude and just be wise about it. So, you know what will be not just for immediate uh, hit. Like something interesting or exciting or pleasing, all these long-term quality of of benefit. What do I really need when I meditate? Most people need calm. They need warm-heartedness. They need clarity. They need steadiness. They need stability. This is kind of what we look for when we meditate. I imagine. Hmm? So you've got to meditate with that kind of intention. Not let me get this right. But let me find that which makes me, which gives rise to stability. It's a different thing, you see, because intention is coming from the heart. You know, intentions always arise. This quality of intention arises from the heart. The heart doesn't know anything about doing it right, getting it right. It knows about pleasure, pain. It knows about agreeable, disagreeable. It knows how to contract. It knows how to open up. It knows how to be soft and trusting. It knows how to be mistrustful and hard. It doesn't know about right, uh, getting it right. That's a head decision, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, so, so you can't really meditate from, you know, with the intention of you know, getting it right. You can meditate. That, that can be your idea. But in order to, to translate into actuality, your intention is steady, may, may there be steadiness, may there be well-being. What's really important for you? So wise attention or appropriate attention is often a matter of actually uh, is, is in-depth. It means you start to ask yourself really that the, you know, what is the, the, the important thing right now? Because you want to get to the to the to the heart of the matter. What are, what is really important to attend to right now, and then what isn't important to attend to, you leave outside. That you close the door on that. So what is important to attend to, and maybe what's important to attend to right now is first of all. Stability. Mm. Yeah. Now it doesn't mean. That's the only story going, but that's perhaps the first story. And you find out what is the first piece that's needed. You know, so that's that kind of, what's really needed now? Stability. Quiet. Yeah. Uh, 
changing energy from being very busy to, to, to slowing down. So then, then that's, that's your intention. So you, you don't want to get busy doing meditation <laughs> if you're looking to slow down. You don't want to get into getting it right. And if you've been doing that all day long, maybe this is a time not to be trying to get it right, but to, to, to um, feeling happy with myself, which is a different thing, isn't it? So probably most of us need, uh, we need to enjoy ourselves. And, uh, you know, something like that, we need something that gives us a feel-good experience in meditation. Mm -hmm. And we're sitting there. We need something that refreshes us. So you, you have that intention and you look out for that. You know, your, your focus is aimed in that way. Where's that? And maybe you know, the knees are not singing songs of praise, so we'll just put that to one side. Maybe the head's got some big issues in it. Well, let's just put that to one side. Where's the comfortable bit? Is there? <laughs> Where's the bit I can actually enjoy? Well, I can enjoy the sense of right now, nobody's pushing, nobody's on my back. You know? Oh, that's nice, yeah. Right now, there's nothing much to do. Yeah, well, let's keep it like that. Don't get busy, you know. I mean, these, these things can change, but just ask yourself what's really needed so that your attention has, is looking for the right things, looking for the right signs. Um, sometimes it's just listening to the silence in the room. Open, spacious, doesn't, you know, plenty of room in it. Ah. Oh. Sometimes it's focusing on the out-breath, sense of releasing. Sometimes it's focusing on the in-breath, or both. Yeah. What is where you get the sense of something that almost rises up to meet you? So you shouldn't have to be scratching around trying to find the right thing. Just set up the right intention, attention, and then look for the contact impression that meets what's needed. Mm -hmm. This is the third aspect, contact. Now, contact can seem like something, you know, you touch it, that's a contact. Contact, touching, tasting, things like that, things you make momentary contact with. And that's certainly, that's one, one way of understanding it. But more important or more meaningful is not that momentary superficial contact but the contact impression remains in your mind. So, you know, you might have had an interesting conversation with somebody and for the rest of that day you think, hey, he's a nice guy. That's the impression that stays there. Mm. Or you had a difficult time with someone for 10 minutes, you think, oh, she's crabby. You know, so that's what stays there. That's, that's, and that contact impression coats the heart. You know? So then every time you think of that person, you see them through that particular lens. This is, to, you know, this is very simplistically, perhaps. You know, you went on holiday. Holiday, you went on holiday. Holiday means it's going to be fun and enjoyable. 
went on holiday, went somewhere, the plane was delayed. Poof. And then you, you got to the place where you're going to, it rained. So terrible, at a terrible time. And we don't remember the fact that we weren't ill, that, that we met some pleasant people. We, certain contact impressions became apparent because we had a particular idea of how it should be. It was going to be sunny and warm, and it wasn't. Actually, there were many agreeable things in that, in that weekend that one didn't notice or didn't remain there because you, know, you had this idealistic impression of what it was going to be like. It didn't match up to that, so you basically decided the whole thing was a, was a failure. A friend of mine said the best way he enjoyed holidays was to, was to not have the holidays because then he didn't set up the expectation of being happy and then think life was okay. <laughs> you know, it was really all right. And he quite enjoyed himself. But once you set up the expectation of this is going to be the marvelous time, you know, the one time of the year it's going to be really great, then, you know, wow, you're looking for that. And then what's then any things that go wrong, which they're bound to go wrong, mean oh, they're a waste of time. So, you know, intention actually affects the contact impression. The contact impression is not purely dependent upon, you know, the, the physical or sensual nature of something, but upon what remains in your mind. What remains in your mind is dependent upon what you were looking for, yeah? So, for example, if we come to, to meditation, and perhaps when we begin, we might, we would imagine, you know, um, I think the first time I did meditation, um, or tried to do meditation, I, I sort of read some line where you say, you look into a, a flower, look into this flower, and you see the wonders of the universe. I looked at this flower. I didn't see no wonders of the universe. I just saw this flower. And after about five minutes, I got bored. <laughs> so I didn't feel this sense of cosmic opening to the wonders of the universe. If somebody just said, study a flower, I might very well have thought, well, this is really interesting. Look at all that. And open to the wonders of the universe. <laughs> so... You know, when you meditate and you think, oh, this is going to be the calm, the quiet, the tranquil, the still, the opening to the mysteries of life. You know, um, you know you've, then what's most likely is it will be disappointment. Because we've, uh, we, haven't, we've haven't actually made, uh, we haven't uh, decided what things are going to be before we've even had it. Experience that everything can never be what we imagine it to be, so it's a letdown, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So your intentionality affects the nature of what you you experience. In your attention, affect contact. So I was saying before, you know, if you you come in here with the intention to to steal something, you'll notice different things than if you came in here to meditate. If you came in here as a heating engineer, you'd notice different things than if you came in here as a, as a, you know, as a spiritual practice. The contact impressions would be very different, dependent upon the intention and the attention of the mind. Now, if we bear this in mind, you know, 
See, what can you most directly, what are you most directly, in a way, confronted by, and it's contact, it's impressions. Yeah. So the impressions of what, and there are fundamental um, assumptions that we, that uh, go on, that almost reflex assumptions built in, and one of them is that things will be permanent, stable, and lasting. Therefore, there's this feeling of imbalance because things aren't. Another fundamental assumption is that things should be uh, pleasant and that there should be a fixed, permanent, pleasant state of some kind, and there isn't, so things get rocky. Another assumption is that something, there's such a thing as myself, and I'm going to find it and get it right, and it will do the right things, and there isn't one. So, yeah, or check it out, you know. So when those, those assumptions affect our intentions, then we feel a sense of confusion. I don't know who I am. I'm not doing this very well. I can't get on with this. Uh, it's, it's a bit rocky. It's unsteady. It's, uh, it's not as good as it should be. Hmm? Whereas if we stop those assumptions, it's just, well, actually, how is it? and attend with where is there a sense of stability, where can that be found, you know. We start to learn how to look for the right things, also the, having the right intention to emphasize, to look, to, to act with a mind that it begins to impart stability to what we're doing. Which means stay with this, stay with this. Stay with this, stay with this, stay with this. So your intention begins to build the, the experience that you have. Or is it the fact that your intention goes, oh, this isn't very good, what about something else? This isn't as solid as I wanted it to be, what about something else? This isn't a stable thing, I want something else. Well, what, that intention is not stable, is it? So, you know, when you see that what your intention is doing will actually generate the impression that you receive. So we maintain this sense of stability of intention, which is not a kind of, it's a sense of, of patience, equanimity, mindfulness, these very important factors. It's keeping a steady, stabilizing intention. And the experience is, though, in fact, what we might be coming up with is all kinds of strange stuff coming and going. The quality of that stable intention begins to have a, a, has an energetic effect, and you find that coming through this gradually over time, the sense of stillness, deepening, stability begins to manifest. Because that's what's leading your mind. And this, the residues of all the scattered stuff of the day begin to lose their effect. They begin to, the fire of them dies out. So a sense of patience is so important in meditation. Uh, and, and faith and bearing with oneself, these qualities are the, what maintains stability. And with that, 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 in, that intention, you also look for the signs that will su- 
support that. So you think there's the stability, there's the, there's the body, there's the spine, there's the breathing in and out, the regularity of that. And we look to what we can look for the right sign. So stability is an important feature. And you get to learn how your intention will um, generate or bring the impressions to you. Mistrust. When we have a sense of absence of trust, then we start to notice things that don't seem very good or we can be suspicious about. Notice this in your life. You know, how when you're in that particular, how something triggers that off and suddenly you see the terrorists all around you. And this happens in, you know, in the media, doesn't it? Uh, somebody pushes the mistrust button and we, we see all the enemies all around us. One of the, um, you know, things I notice very much now is the kind of, you know, it's not good for you. So when you put it's not good for you in the search engine of your mind, you find that practically everything is not good for you. <laughs> well, we've already counted out, you know, meat, salt, sugar, uh, Potassium, that's that, not good for you. Look at something, something else, not good for you. Uh, and then uh, eating too much is not good for you, but eating not enough is not good for you. Fat's not good for you. Carbohydrate's not good for you. Sugar's not good for you. Oil's not good for you. Um, oh dear. Nothing is good for me. Um, It's like, you know, if we, if we got what was good for us, nobody would ever die. <laughs> he died at the age of 94, was cut off in his prime. I mean, you know, because he, did, he didn't eat what was good for him. <laughs> I don't want to make too much of it, but, you know, when she's kind of, you get these obsessions... that start to mean that you do experience all the things that are not good for you. So your intention, intentionality is a big part to play in contact impressions. It, because it, it focuses your attention in a specific way to seek out that which, which, which uh, follows its messages. And then you focus on that and you keep dwelling, and mind keeps dwelling upon it, building it up. You probably notice this in your thinking, you know. Just could you imagine, you know, the amount of stuff you could think about? You know, the nature of bees, um, the number of tombstones in Mayan architecture, the um, Venetian pottery in the 15th century. And, you know, there's so much that you could actually think about, isn't there? So many possibilities, human brain. What's life like on the other side of Betelgeus? You know, where did the universe come from? And what do you think about <laughs> when you sit there? What goes through your brain? Oh, I don't do this. I don't do that. Soap opera, isn't it? You know, 
and it's and then you know going on and on and on, trying to work it out. And uh, you know what's what's happening. Why is it like that? And so much of it is really trying to uh, to have a something that can tell us who we are, and we can figure out our lives. We can sort it out, or we're dealing with the bits we haven't sorted out, or we think we're dealing with, we're thinking about the things we haven't sorted out, the things we should sort out things that looks like they never get sorted out. So it's generally uh, quite um, unpleasant in there. Because what comes to us when we know thinking is all the things that are of a slightly problematic, unresolved nature. Or even could be in the future. Worry, anxiety, uncertainty unresolved things, unresolved problems. Mm-hmm. So that life becomes that, that expression of an ongoing unresolvedness because of the assumption that if you just put a bit more into it, you could sort it, you could get it straightened out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you should have it straightened out. You should be living a happy, balanced steady life with no messy shadows and no skeletons in the cupboard and no dark issues and you know and nothing unresolved and no little tangled neurotic bits um, going on and if you're not doing that then you know you better sort yourself out as far as I know I don't you know from my experience my own mind and people around me um, everybody is neurotic um, or has these unres- things that are unresolved, problematic, and so on. That's life. Once you've come to that, then you don't obsess with it. You don't keep picking at it. You can actually start to see what, instead of having an intention that's caught with worry, your intention that's about benevolence, established with benevolence, and you put that there, then you start to see that which can be, is benevolent, or that which you can approach with benevolent intention. Hmm. Remember somebody interviewing the Dalai Lama and asking him, did he have any, any, uh, you know, did he get regrets or bad memories? And he said, No. He didn't. And he said, was there nothing in your life that you regret then? That you'd done? And he thought, he said, oh yes. And he mentioned something, you know, that he'd, he'd, he'd failed to do or hadn't done in giving somebody advice and this monk had had a, you know, either killed himself or something, something quite terrible. And so, he said, so the video said, well, doesn't that bother you? He said, no. Um, uh, it's not, I don't repress it. It's just that I don't, my mind doesn't go there. Yeah. 
there's an example of the, the, you know, because knowing his intention was not that way. And the mind isn't looking round, you know, to, to, to see what's wrong so that we could correct it. When you recognize that you've got to keep moving on, life doesn't get corrected. You just learn and you keep purifying your intention and move on. Mm. When you think of the life of the Buddha, it was, you know, it was our great role model. And there's this occasion when he was teaching a group of monks the unattractiveness of the body. And then the 60 of them went and decided, since the body was so unattractive, they'd kill themselves. So 60 of these monks either killed themselves or got somebody else to do it for them. So you can imagine that could rest on your conscience, couldn't it? But uh, somebody told the Buddha this, and he says, oh, they didn't, they didn't understand what I was teaching. Yeah. And that wasn't my intention, that wasn't what I was teaching. Yeah. So he thought, well, well, actually, we'll teach Anapanasati instead. <laughs> so you can teach mindfulness of breathing instead. Because people don't understand, didn't understand really what he meant by the unattractiveness of the body. It doesn't mean hatred. It means you don't get hung up in it. Uh, you don't get fascinated by it. But it's interesting to note that the Buddha didn't go into a whole kind of guilt, blame, hopeless teacher, failure, you know, trip around it. Something, something like that. So when you have these regrets in your mind or things of this nature, you've got to go back to, to just look at that experience from a benevolent mind, not from a mind that's trying to work out right and wrong, you know, which is, which is a purely uh, kind of a judgment in your head. But look at it from a mind that's looking at with sympathy. Mm-hmm. So you look from the heart, not from your head. And look from a mind of sympathy, things that, you know, now you look at it and you, you get a sense of, you know, that was unskillful, that was mistaken, uh, there was harm there. You look at that, from a mind of sympathy, you see, you start to sit, look at it and think, okay, that I was, yeah, I was pretty foolish then, that was unskillful. Right, don't do that again. Got it? Yep. And now generate the qualities of kindness, forgiveness, well-being, compassion uh, towards yourself because you were caught up with some delusion or another and towards anyone else who might have been affected. This is what you can do right now. So this is where you, you, you set up that intention. Yeah. Not to keep going on the rights and the wrongs and what should have been and what shouldn't have been, but, or to analyze yourself. Because you know, there isn't a self to analyze. There are particular ongoing intentions and patterns and behavior things, behaviors that you need to understand and contemplate and you turn them around through the mind of sympathy and goodwill and clarity. You don't turn them around by you know, right, wrong, should, shouldn't, ought, oughtn't. You know. That just places another weight on them, doesn't it? Doesn't doesn't change anything. Similarly, when we 
practice meditation, you're looking to um, to concentrate the mind, or to you know what is really needed is to deepen into the experience that you're having. So you deepen you you're doing breathing meditation, really deepen into it. What is a breath? What? How do you know you're breathing? Um, so for myself, this is generally the way that I you know, lead meditation. My meditation, I don't have a particular technique or I have several possible techniques I can use, but almost the, the opening to that is how do I know I have a body? You know, not just as I look around, you know, I think I've got one, but really feeling it, directly feeling it, the sensations, the pressures, the energies, that intention just to know, to, to be aware of, to pay attention to it. And then within that, what is it that tells me I'm breathing in and out? And sometimes, nothing. So it's not, okay. So what's happening? I feel this tension or thinking too much or thinking a lot, coming back into the body. Somewhere in there, you know, breathing is happening, otherwise I'd be dead. So what is it that tells me it's happening? look to that and where is the stable in that where is the the that which i can take an interest in so it's very much more like knowing how to to incline the mind skillfully not as meditation another set of things i've got to get good at but meditation a chance to really deepen into an experience and for this time in order to cultivate a sense of stability and clarity, I'm going to limit the focus onto just the body, breathing in, breathing out, or that which is conducive to skillful mind states. So, you know, you may think, well, actually, right now what's really needed is to cultivate loving kindness because that's, that's what's really important right now. So, you, you know, you can adjust your systems, your techniques from this basic understanding of attention, intention. You know, pay attention, what's important, what's necessary right now. And it may be this is going to be for the next 10 minutes and then it's going to change. So you start off with something like metta bhavana and you might find after a while, okay, that's, that's clear. That's, that's stable, that's steady, the mind is now in a good state. Now I want to deepen into, into mindfulness of breathing. So you approach it like that rather than another thing you have to do. So there's a difference between staying with the meditation object, staying with the breathing because you're sampling it and experiencing it fully, yeah rather than going through the process of following a system. It's rather like the difference between, you know, uh, having a stack of apples and counting how many there are and having one apple and tasting it, which gives you the best appreciation of apples. (laughs) How much they weigh, how much they cost, what their names are, you know, how you can put them in order or what's the taste of one. So you just taste the one apple and taste it fully. 
And this, this will definitely help the mind to bond to the object. So even if we just kind of get, you know, it takes a while to really get a hold of that apple and taste it and taste it and give yourself all the time in the world. So this is the, the deepening in, in terms of, of, of experience here and nowness rather than a movement in time movement to, to get somewhere or accumulate something in time you're deepening into the presence of an experience and this intention will definitely uh, change what you what you experience as I was saying you know that the Often we um, have all sorts of assumptions about what a body is or what breathing in and out is. You know, you've got a little kind of biology lesson. You see this photograph or diagram on a wall, a little bag of lungs and the air pumping in and out of it. That's breathing in and out. And a body is this kind of picture that you have in your mind that you see with your eyes. But actually, that, that is a visual impression of a body and that's a concept of breathing. Direct experience of the body is what? There's a sense of stability, some stability, some sense of substance, substantiality to it, earth element. Warmth, vitality, fire element. Movement, pressures, air element. Cohesion, unity, flowing, water element. So you start to sense these, and you can, you know, and appreciating them for what they are. And you start to notice the signs that particularly uh, attract the mind. So the mind, you might very well find that what, what is more, most attractive is, is, the, is the vitality, the liveliness, the energy. Then your mind will bond to that because that's, what it's, that's the contact impression that is appropriate at this particular time. So, yeah. Or it could be that you like the sense of the simple, stable, boom, you know, the earthiness of it. So you focus on that particular impression. You may find particular part places in your body that seem to be more where, where your mind wants to go, you know, say in your chest or your throat or your face or your head. Somehow it seems to settle there. So what um, I'm suggesting is there's a kind of ongoing um, negotiation that occurs between you know, the, the, the meditation object and the meditator as to how this meeting place is going to occur. This meeting and merging, how it's going to occur. It can't come from me deciding and dominating and deciding it's going to be like this. It can't come from just me sitting back and, and letting it happen because then it becomes, generally what happens is my obsessions take over. <laughs> so we sometimes we veer from being tight and controlling and really holding onto the breath tight to, oh, I'm tired of that. And then we let go and that feels kind of nice for a while but then what tends to come rolling in is all our worries and concerns and obsessions and doubts. Yeah. So that isn't right either. One's too loose, one's too tight. 
So, you know, what is the, the sense of really negotiating a meeting with your, with your, with your own body? As you listen, look for the signs. Focus with appropriate intention. Intention that uh, you feel good about. Intention for calm, intention for stability, intention for enjoyment. To enjoy, you know, which we may associate with you know, meditation, enjoyment. Wait a minute. <laughs> meditation is serious, meditation is purposeful, meditation is profound, meditation is enjoyable. Uh, yeah, meditation is enjoyable. It means there must be joy in it. It means that uh, we see, that we experience the joyfulness. We experience things with a joyful mind. And this is not, you know, me making it up. This is the main line of the process of meditation. The Buddha called it Pomoja, gladness, piti, rapture, sukha, ease. These are the precursors to the unification experience of samadhi. So absolutely essential. Do we know how to enjoy? You know, to, to, you know, very often what happens is, you know, our enjoyments are rather laid on for us. You know, you switch on the thing and stuff starts happening. You, you know, whatever it is, the TV, computer games, switch it on. Uh, you know, it's a kind of passive enjoyment. But to take joy in what one is doing is a more profound thing, isn't it? You take joy in the cooking. You take joy in the gardening. You take joy in helping another person. You, you, make, your, you make your joy the way that you act. You act from a mind that sees the joyful, sees the room for benevolence, sees the sense of, of clear intention. Intention that's not grabbing or, or greedy or, or short term. These are the kinds of, of intentions and attitudes that will give rise to joy. So then it's important to learn to enjoy the breathing. So if there's a slogan I like to use all the time in the world, to me, that's uh, something that opens up the possibility for joy. When the time boundaries are gone, doesn't matter, you know. Sit here for one hour and get one breath, enjoyable breath, that's fine. You know? Set up the intention for enjoyment. To enjoy, to that intention is what it means. We are, uh, we've got no fixed goal. We're not assuming it should be one way or another. There's a sense of lightness, a sense of being able to receive and appreciate something as it actually is. You know, when you walk in nature, for example, if you enjoy nature, you see the everything. Nothing is, is straight, nothing is orderly, it's all just as it is. And I think this is one of the 
beauties of it. You see the trees falling down, you see tangles, you see leaves, you see insects, you see things going rotting away, things sprouting up, and everything is just do, just as it is. And there's no sense of it's not following some kind of line or pattern or function. And that freedom from function, freedom from structure, is what you know gives it joy. We are able to see it purely as it is, with no idea of what it should be. So this, this, you know, to me, is important when we cultivate meditation. It's not what it should be; it's what it is. And it sounds like, well, you know, where's that going to lead? But the uh, the results, you check it out for yourself, is that through that sense of real directness to as it is, it does start to become stable, concentrated, calm. <laughs> but you've gone around it the right way. Instead of saying you should be this way, that, and the other, you've done the process that allows that to come around. You've found the, the entered the process which allows a skillful intention, a skillful attention, to generate the right kind of impressions that you look for, and between the the feedback between that which you find comforting and a mind that appreciates that, you start to get the sense of bond. So for me, the breathing can be the experience of of warmth. Of, of calmness, of um, steadiness, of depth. I enjoy the sense of depth in it, the uh, sense of unforced. So there are all kinds of perceptual nuances around this uh, simple phenomenon that are all part of it. So when we when we understand as a kind of like a holistic experience it's not purely watching a physical object because breathing is not a physical object and there's no instruction on watching the breath there's an instruction on being aware of the whole process of breathing in and breathing out there's no particular thing there's a flowing energy of of a process and then the mind keeps getting a sense of how that feels. And that's what you want to look at, how, how, you, how you're feeling it, how you're sensing it. Mm-hmm. And in there, you're sensing the qualities of, of, of the contact that is skillful and enjoyable. So you learn from this because then most anything that you do with a mind that is, has the right intention, attention, Will become, you know, will fit in line with your with what your actual intention is, your heart intention is. So you know, this is the difference between work and play, isn't it? You know, play is when we have a particular intention, which is curious, interested, um, don't quite know how it's going to work, and we can put a tremendous amount of effort and interest in that, and it feels joyful. We call that. You know, play or craft or art, depending on uh, 
how you want to, what term you want to use. And then something we call work generally means uh, it doesn't involve me, it's got to be done, it's my duty, it's got to be, arrive at a certain conclusion at a certain time. And all the feeling quality is, <laughs> is thrown out the window. Yeah. So is meditation is the supreme, consider it a supreme art, the supreme craft. Uh, it doesn't mean, it means, it, it certainly means you, there's a lot of, you put a lot of energy and commitment into it, but it's the commitment and the energy that sees and is in tune with the enjoyable, the beautiful, the stabilizing, in tune with fulfilling in the present moment what you really need right now. So, enough.